0: We've been working on really digging into Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. And so just as a point of review, I put some notes there in your outline. If you haven't been able to, if you weren't here for the sermon, you can pick up a CD out there, or go to our, our website, there's a podcast, there's also a link to a video if you want to watch it. Luke 9, 23 to 25, we've said the formula is DCF, has a kind of a way to remember, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. And it's important that we remember it's an invitation rather than a scolding. It's God saying, this is the way to experience the life that you've been created to experience. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how it's a sobering choice in verse 23. Let's see if you can remember. And he said to all, say it with me, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's a sobering choice because it challenges us that we have to deny ourselves, say no to our, what we want, and say yes to him. And then take up our cross, our responsibility every day to follow him. We also saw that it's a stark, there's a stark truth to the choice. In verse 24, see if you remember it. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's a stark choice. It's either or. And we live in a world of both and. And then we saw the logic and math of the choice in verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. And we also looked at how, even when you do the math and it just makes sense that we should follow Jesus because what he offers, still, there's only a, a few, comparatively few, who will actually follow him because it narrows the, the gate, and uh, the vast majority of people will not follow Jesus. Then last week we looked at how it requires that we choose God over people. And the essential question then is, is there anything Jesus could ask to which you would respond that's too much? As we continue to dig into this, the phrase that has kind of captured me all week long is this phrase, the whole world. If you gain the whole world. If you gain the whole world. So Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts our eyes, our ears, especially our souls. Because we can't discover anything except that you reveal it to us. So Holy Spirit, open us up to the truth that you want us to grasp onto and how you want us to apply it and change us. Let it be you, Lord. And let us be amazed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This message has the potential to be very much like drinking out of a fire hydrant. Have you ever tried that? I don't recommend it. (laughs) Because there's so much water coming out of a fire hydrant that it'll just overwhelm you, it can even drown you. And that's the danger of me sitting with a scripture or a theme too long, is that my mind just keeps digging and digging and digging. So what I'm hoping is that you will, what I'd like you to do is as, as insights, as thoughts that come to you are meaningful, just jot it down. Just jot it down somewhere on, on your outline. Just jot it down. And then, and then take it and spend time with it during the week and ask God what He wants to bring to your mind and how He wants you to apply it. Because there, there's just a lot here. Um, so here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. We're going to build on Luke chapter nine, uh, by looking at first John chapter two, verses 15 to 17. So if you have your Bible, if anybody need a Bible, cause we're going to be looking at a couple of scriptures. We have some in the back. If you need them, Luke will be glad to deliver them. First John chapter two, verses 15 to 17. First John chapter two. Toward the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... And the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. To make Jesus our whole world, I think embedded in the Luke 9 scripture and this scripture and many other scriptures, I think there are several concepts or, or realities that we need to look at. And the first one is this. What is gaining or losing the whole world? What is this, this idea of gaining or losing the whole world? In Luke 9.25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And then verse 15 in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. So the world he's talking about is this world system, this earthly kingdom that is in rebellion against God, this anti-Eden existence. And this world system, our natural default is selfishness. And so no matter how nice a child is and how cute that child is, eventually he he or she will grow up to be selfish because that's our default. After Adam and Eve sin, sinned, then our default is selfishness. And so the world is that selfishness. The world system is against God. Jesus said the, the, world, the prince of this world is, is Satan. And so the world that he's talking about here is, though, are, are those things that compete for the priority or the love or what we live for with God. These statements are statements of exclusivity. And that's what we talked about. The stark reality of the choice is that you can can choose Jesus or you can choose the world, but you can't choose both. And we live in a world where this is the multitudes of people who even claim to follow Christ are trying to live with one foot in each. Love the world and still love Jesus. Love Jesus and still love the world. Because Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself those things that are not of me. You have to deny yourself those things in order to follow him. And so when Jesus says the whole world, he's talking specifically about what would mean the whole world to each person. And this is not a generic kind of whole world. And so he says, what would it gain? What would profit a man if he gains the whole world? So he's not talking about, The whole world. He's talking about what is the whole world to me. And so here's an important concept. Here's an important spiritual reality that you might want to write down. The devil's deceit is to get us to dismiss truth. The devil's deceit is to get us to dismiss truth. By... uh, kind of, um, how can I describe it? By um, causing, causing us to look at something in excess rather than specific to us. For instance, the whole, so the devil tries to um, um, get us to think, oh, well, I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not really trying to gain the whole world. I mean, maybe Elon Musk is, right? Or Jeff Bezos, or... Putin or politicians. You know, I'm not trying to gain the whole world. So that, that's, not, that's not really what he's talking about, right? He's not really talking to me because I'm not trying to gain the whole world. I, what would it profit me? I'm not going to gain the whole world. I can't gain the whole world. So I just kind of write that off. And so the devil's deceit is to try to get us to dismiss the fact that this applies to us. The application here is what would mean the whole world to you? What would mean? Have you ever heard that phrase? She or he means the world to me. In fact, I I googled it because that's where you get all the really good information, right? And when you Google um, the whole world, what you get are a bunch of love songs, a bunch of romantic kinds of things. In fact, one of the one of the hits came up as an Urban Dictionary that said. Um, The phrase, my whole world, is the love of your life. It's a romantic relationship. And so when Jesus says, what would it profit you if you gain the whole world? It could be somebody that you really, really want a relationship. It could be a job that you really want. It could be what you think enough money is. Or it could be a pleasure that you desire. He's saying, what would it profit you if you gain all that you specifically want? What's on your dream list? What's on your, your, your list of success? What would it gain if you get that thing, but lose or forfeit your soul? And so when Jesus says, what would it profit a man? What would it profit you if you gain what you really want? What you specifically want? Not, not the whole world that somebody else wants, but what you want. Have you ever wondered what the original, the, the life dreams and hopes were of the original followers of Jesus? When he called um, James and John, Peter and Andrew, who were all fishermen. And if you had interviewed them the day before Jesus came along and said, follow me, and said, what, what, are you, what would mean the whole world to you? It might've been success in this fishing business because they were, according to what we know about them, fairly well off. They had more than one boat, and they had a successful fishing business. The whole world to them may have been, if I could just have a couple more boats that would provide for my family and my children and give my, be able to give that business to my son when he gets older, that would mean the whole world to me. For Matthew, he was a tax collector. It had to be money. As he's betraying his countrymen in order to have what he would consider the whole world. So what would the whole world look like to you? What's on your dream list? It comes back to this question. Is there anything that Jesus could ask you to do or surrender to which you would say too much? Because that's your whole world. That's the world he's talking about. It's not the whole world. It's not taking over the world It's about what you want, what you're living for. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's another way of saying I am willing to set aside the whole world. I am willing to set aside. I'm willing to let go of everything. Last week, I think, was a challenging message for us all because the challenge was there are people who we have to allow to think that we don't love them by obeying Christ. And people can be our whole world. That leads us to the second concept or reality, and that is the categories of the whole world. So it's not the whole world, but it's, it's what we believe the whole world would be to us. So categories of the whole world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And what I've discovered is that these three categories are these big general buckets that uh, pretty much everything that tempts us to follow our own way rather than God's way would fall into. And the three are intertwined and we deal with all of them in some way. But I think each one of us have a vulnerable spot uh, with one of them. In a moment, I'm going to ask you for audience participation time of um, what would be the kind of things in each one of these three categories. But before I do that, just understand, once again, the devil's deceit is to get us to think in the extreme of the category. And in that way, cause us to think, well, I'm not that. So this doesn't apply to me. So here we go. The first category he highlights, is pleasure for all that is in the world, the world system that is in rebellion to Jesus, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. This would be pleasure. The, the, uh, the kind of bodily pleasures, the kind of um, flesh is the, is the word in the Greek. Sarx, the, the word is flesh. And so those things that feel good physically So here we go. Audience participation time. If you're still awake, nod. Okay. Audience participation time. When we think of the desires of the flesh, the pleasure, sinful pleasures of this world, what comes to mind? Food? Drugs? What? Fast cars? (laughs) Yeah. There's a, yep. Sex. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, top of the list right there, right? Advertising, every, you know, I mean, the whole nine yards. That's the big one because God created it so good and so pure that the devil uses those things that are the best in, from God to try to turn them around for evil. Any others? Money, the pleasure, the pleasure that would come with money. Absolutely. Status would um, be a part, be a part of it because they're all intertwined. It has a lot to do with pride, but the, the the feelings of pleasure that come when you're you have something. And so, if we and and so, oftentimes in evangelical Christianity, we have those big boxes, and we goes, okay, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't dance, I don't go with girls that do. You know, that was kind of the mantra when I was a teenager. You know, and, and so I don't do any of those big things. So pleasure's not an issue with me, right? right. Wrong. How about this? And so I, I was, you know, one of the big things for me is laughter. I love to laugh. I just love to laugh. Is there anything wrong with laughing? Not in the way that God created it. But in our world, it's maintained, hasn't it? And so you watch comedians and 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 there's just so many of them that they immediately go to places you shouldn't your mind shouldn't go your heart shouldn't go or if God wants me to be doing something reaching out to someone caring about someone and I instead I choose oh I just want to feel good so I'm going to laugh I'm going to watch something that will cause me to laugh now it has become my god it has become a part of my world What about popcorn? Yeah. What about those things that we turn to to medicate ourselves? Just numb ourselves. They're not big things. They're not the big sins. And yet when I turn to them, when I should be doing something different, then I'm disobeying God. I am giving in to that temptation. I'm giving in to that's the world I want to live in. Fasting, that is giving up food in order to focus on God, is, is not a popular spiritual discipline in affluent cultures. And in fact, most pastors that I talk to or teach or don't even practice it. Not because they're res- resisting it even, but because it's just not a part of the Christian world. Why? Because a part of this, this pleasure, this desire of the flesh, is the avoidance of discomfort. Is the avoidance of pain. Now, does anybody wake up in the morning going, oh, man, I hope I have some pain today. I, I just, you know, today, I just, God, send me pain. No, we don't do that. We don't want pain. We don't like pain, but God uses pain. And the avoidance of pain can, falls into this category. And so sometimes it's not that I want to feel good, but rather it's I, want, I don't want to feel bad. Does that make sense? So this is where you need to write down anything God's bringing to mind. Because it can be this simple thing of food. Food simple thing of doing things to avoid the pain of, and it can be emotional pain, relational pain, that God wants us to address. But I don't do it because I don't like to feel bad. And if I do something because I don't like to feel bad instead of doing it because I'm obeying Christ, then I'm not walking in, in step with Him. This sermon has all the earmarks of meddling, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you want to keep going? All right. Gluttons for punishment. Here we go. Possessions. So in um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. Possessions, desires of the eyes. The, the lust of the eyes is, is the way that the King James puts it. Points to our desire to have and to collect and to acquire. It's about the stuff in this world. It's about the things that we want. So here we go, audience participation. What would fall into this category? Fast (laughs) cars. Yeah, probably all three would, yeah. Fast cars, yeah, for a different reason. What's that? New clothes. clothes. Diamonds. Diamonds. (coughs) What's that? Relationships. Okay. Um collecting oh, oh you yeah, collecting <laughs> wives yeah Solomon collecting wives yeah you know that's as that what you're thinking I mean <laughs> when i think of the relationship it's because you want to you're seeking it so deeply that you know you want to possess it you yeah. need it you want to control it yeah you want to possess it you want to control that other person yep yep anything else So having money, having things, having buying stuff, getting stuff, collecting stuff, um, making your ba- bank account bigger—all of those kinds of things. Would pornography, of mm-hmm. pornography would would probably again all of them ha- inter- intertwine, but probably the first one, you know, because it's that desire for pleasure—the pleasure of looking at something. So, um, what if it's not, well, it, and, and it's not just the fact that we gather the possessions, but it's our attitude toward them. That I, I, I want those kinds of things. Um, it's it, how I treat people when something happens with my possessions in relationship to them. Have you ever been around someone who had um, something that they loved and a child broke it? And it became very obvious that that thing was more important than the child because of how they responded. Now, I don't want children breaking all my stuff. But you know what? Children are going to break stuff. And what's more important? The child or the possession? Yeah. What about... um, Here, let me meddle a little bit more. What about buying stuff because it's on sale? Not because I need it. I'm saving money. Right? I just love it. Look at all the money I saved by buying this stuff. I said, well, wait a minute. You spent money, right? But I saved all this. Did you need it? Well, not really. See, see how... <laughs> see how it can become... It, it, the devil wants to extrapolate to make it ex- the excess rather than right where we live. The possessions that we have. And then the third category is pride of life. The pride of life. In some translations, translations, the boasting of what he has and does. And this... This is a, a harder one to define because it, it has so many implications. It's about uh, living a proud or ostentatious or presumptuous life. It's about, um, and, I, and I think it's wanting to look good to other people. I think is really the best kind of definition that I've come up to. The desire to look good in front of the people. So what would come in this category? Social media, yeah, how many followers do I have, right? What else? Career. Career, yeah, being successful so that other people see me as successful. What else? (laughs) Yeah, so that everybody goes, ooh, look, wow. (laughs) Yeah, how we look, how we look. Yep, absolutely. And, and this, and so here's the here's the um, the rubber meets the road kind kind of app application not wanting people to see my flaws. I want what does that say? If I don't want them to see my flaws, what I'm saying is I don't want them to think I have any flaws, so I want them to see me as perfect. Getting defensive because I want people to think well of me, and, and if they say anything bad about me, if they criticize me, then I'm taking a hit. Unwilling to be wrong or to apologize has to do with pride. I want to look good. I don't want anybody to see me in any way other than good and perfect. And so I keep my yard so that the neighbors think well of me. I drive a fast car so that people think well of me. I try to climb the ladder of success even though it's costing me my health and my family because I want people to think well of me. I want to be popular. I want to I want people to think that I'm something that I'm not. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Luke chapter 16 verse 13 says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And then Romans 6.16 says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so what those scriptures are saying is, in each one of these areas, pleasure, possessions, and pride, I have to daily choose whether I'm going to live for Christ or to live for myself. And if I live for Christ, then I experience the life that he has for us. But I am enslaved to one or the other. I, am, I do belong to one or the other, but I can't serve God. And I feel like I haven't done justice to that scripture, which is why I want you to write down what it, because I don't know the intricacies of your life. The fact is we can put on such a facade. We can put on such an appearance that everybody thinks well of us and thinks we don't have any problems or any difficulties, any struggles, and we can be dying inside in our life with Christ. And it could be pleasure And it can be possessions, even though we don't have, it's not about having a lot. It's about my attitude towards them or pride. And I can be living for things so that people think well of me or don't think badly of me. And I don't even realize it. And it will eat us alive because we cannot serve both God and anything else. And when God reveals those, and here's here's the most wonderful part, is when God reveals anything of those to you, it's because he loves you. And he's saying, what you are living for in pleasure or possessions or pride is eating away at your soul and it will destroy you. So let me have it. Let me have it. Let me have it. Because so oftentimes, God will say to us, give me that. Give me that relationship. Give me those possessions. Give me those desires for success. Give me those. Give me those. And then we think, okay. And we find, hand them over, and then he purifies them, and he'll hand them back. Because he wants to fulfill the desires that he's placed within us, but not the desires that the devil has distorted and, and is trying to use to destroy us. So, you can be confident that when He identifies those things in your life, it's out of His love for you and out of experiencing the abundant life that is even better than what you already have. No matter what it looks like, no matter how you feel when it, you expose it. Because some of, the, some of those things you have to confess to somebody else and say, Man, I, I'm living there, I can't get a handle on this. I can't. And, and then we receive the cleansing and the forgiveness and the abundant life that He has for us. And that's what the church is all about. Some of these things will not be resolved except through iron sharpening, iron relationships. And so if you have those kinds of things, spend some time with the Lord and let him give you some direction. How do I overcome? Because he doesn't want any of those things to control us. And there are so many people who claim to be Christians in our world that are being controlled by them. And so they're challenged to fast and they refuse to fast. They're challenged to give to the Lord's work and they they won't do it. They're challenged to make a priority of who God is and what he wants and how he wants us to live. And they're more concerned about how somebody else will think about them. And that will destroy us. I often think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus he said, you know, he, Lord, I want, to, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And he said, I have, which was pride alert. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him and said, okay, if you really want what I have, so all you have, give it to the poor and then follow me. He looked at him and he loved him. He wanted him to be free. And God wants you to be free. Whatever it is that is the world to you, that is keeping you from experiencing him, he wants you to be free. He died for you to be free. Which brings us to this third reality or this third concept. Okay, so what does it mean? This right side up lifestyle of making Jesus free the whole world. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Circle the word lifestyle. It's, it's not a one-time decision, but it's every day. So in, that, in Luke chapter 9, he says, if, any, if you, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's a lifestyle of doing it. That's why we emphasize knees and nudges all the time. Get on your knees at the beginning of the day, surrender yourself, praise God, and then wa- walk in step with him as you go through the day the hardest of those choices are often the smaller choices, the little choices, the daily choices. It's a challenge of giving up what we can see for what we can't see. I had a friend in college, grew up in the state of Colorado Played football. He was all-state place kicker and punter, which meant he was really good. He was offered a full-ride scholarship to the University of Colorado Division I football as a kicker, and he came to this little tiny Bible college in Houston, Texas, where I went, and had to work a second, work a job, to pay for it his tuition, to pay for his housing, to pay when he could have had all the honor. You know, he could have been traveling on an airplane to games all over the country. He could have had all, you know, for winning games as the kicker. He could have had, he could have had everything, but he chose to say no to that because God said, I want you at that Bible college preparing to be a pastor. He walked away from a lot. And I remember when I heard about that, I thought, man, why did you do that? And I caught myself. Why would I even? I'm at a Bible college studying to be a pastor. And I'm asking why he would turn his back on the world in order to pursue God. What, that just shows you how upside down we often are. And he's gone on to make a difference in thousands of people's lives. What, will it gain, what would it gain him if he, if he said, that's my world. That's my world. I'm going to go to the University of Colorado, maybe even the NFL. I'm going to do that but then he lost or forfeited himself. You see, that simple choice, that little choice, that hardly anybody, I mean, he didn't broadcast it. I just kind of found out about it. I put a quotation in your, uh, oh no, I didn't put it in your outline. I I put it up here. If you get an email from me, under my, my name will always be this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It was written in a journal of Jim Elliott, a young man who, had, who could have done just about anything. But he had decided that God was telling him and some of his buddies to go to an unreached people group in Ecuador back in the 1950s who were known to be violent. And he said yes to God. About Uh, six years uh, before, well, about five years before they actually went to Ecuador, he wrote in his journal. And here's one of the reasons why you should be using a journal. As you have your quiet time, as you're spending time with God, to write down what your interaction, insights, thoughts, what God shows you, how he highlights things. Because this was in his journal after he died and his wife found it. And it has become one of the most well-known quotes in American Christianity for 60 years, 70 years. And so above is his journal. One of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. He writes it, and that's an efficient truth. And then he says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And then he quotes a scripture and then then below he goes on to to talk about how that applies to his life. But that became the mantra of his life. "Is He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If I can have something that's going to last for a thousand years, why would I trade it for something that will last for a day or a week or even a lifetime? So how much more if I can have something that's going to last for all eternity? Why would I exchange that for something that would just be a moment in time and then I'm dead. And Jim Elliott gave up his life so that others could live. And, if, and I encourage you to, to read the rest of his story. Gates of Splendor was one of the books. There was a movie out about 20 years ago that, that talked about how it was their death that caused that um, the the groups of people in that area to eventually come to Christ. And Jim Elliott would say, of course, why would I hold on to this life when I've got all eternity? First John chapter two, verse 17 says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. The world is passing away along with its desires. I just happened to, I don't read the newspaper, but my wife gets it and uh, she had left section of the newspaper on the kitchen table. It was a, about a different article. But I, when I opened it up and I, and I, I read the inside, it, all the obituaries were there. So I looked to see if my name was there. I just wanted to make sure I was still alive. But as I just flipped through, I just, I just flipped through. And, I, and out of all the obituaries, probably 40 obituaries, 50, I don't know. Four of them were the exact same age I am right now. And I went, that could be me. The guy that died from the tree dropping at McMurray. And he was my age. That's how this world passes away, my friends. That quick. Every day, that quick. He says, this world and its desires, all those things that that can become our world, pleasures, possessions, pride, Passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So it comes back to the exclusivity of Christ. If we say yes to him, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow him. I get abundant life here. Satisfaction in spite of pain or anything else that I have to deal with. And eternal life in the hereafter. That's just a good deal. Isn't it? It just makes sense. Why is it so hard? Because our selfish nature, this fleshly nature, Satan knows how to get us. He knows how to poke us. He knows how to lure us. He knows how to to draw us into the things and we don't even realize we're there. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the word of God. That's why we need the spirit of God. It's just simply the smart choice. Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do Christ far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Jesus is able to do fa- So what is the world to you? He's saying, I will do it far more abundantly than anything that you could ask or imagine, ask or think, according to the power that is work with you in the Holy Spirit. And then open your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 3. I told you it was going to be a fire hydrant. On, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11 and then we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3. So make your fingers do a little work. Philippians chapter 3, this is the scripture verse that we used as, a, as one of our readings today. Unbeknownst to Shannon, who chooses the, the readings for, the, for our worship service, I had chosen this one. And she said, oh, sh- should I change it? I'm going, no. No. <laughs> That just means the Holy Spirit really wants to emphasize this. Listen, read along with me, You're not out loud. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And here's the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul, who had everything we just talked about. He had the pleasure, the possessions, the wealth, and the position of being one of the best of up-and-coming Pharisees of his faith. So of the Jewish faith, he was going to be one of the top of the Sanhedrin. He had everything the, his world could offer. And he says, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, whatever you have to choose to give up, pleasures, possessions, or pride, it doesn't compare with having Jesus. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And he did. He literally did. He lost everything. And I count them as rubbish. And I hate that translation because it doesn't do it justice. That word rubbish is used for sewage. Even worse than sewage. (laughs) Manure is a nice way of saying it. I count it as manure. I count it as dung. I count it as excrement. All that I had, all, all the pleasure, all the possessions, all the pride that I had, I count it as, as worse. It, not that you would never want to keep it. Manure. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, relationship with Christ. In the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. Why? That I may know him in intimate, aligned relationship. That I may know him with his his presence living within me. And the power of his resurrection. That's the greatest power that this world has ever known. The power of him, Christ, and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. He says... I surrender. So, Luke chapter 9, I deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow Christ because it is of endless worth, because it is of the greatest. And I'm, and I'm telling you, there is no greater pleasure. There is no greater possession. There is no greater. Um, there's nothing greater than the pleasure of walking in intimate relationship with Christ. Amen. None. There is none. And it took me decades to get there. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't trade it for the world. First John, chapter three, beginning with verse 1 First John 3, beginning with verse 1. 1 John 3, beginning with verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. Not slaves, not servants, not not just people that are part of His salvation plan. His very own children. Dearly loved children the kind of love the Father has given to us is that we should become his treasured children, that he pulls up onto his lap, that he walks alongside it, that he pours out his best upon. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. So he says, I've got more than you could ever imagine, exceedingly abundantly more than all that you could ask or think. I have for you, if you will just deny yourself, Take up your cross daily and follow me, aligning yourself with me, not giving into the world, but living for me. And I've got all of that here. And then when you die or when Jesus comes again, we will be transformed to be like him. And we will be treasured by him. And you read Revelation 21 and 22 and you see the picture of all the pleasure, all the joy. He will wipe every tear. He will will delight in us and we will reign with him. And it's beyond comprehension. And so he says, it's just a good deal. It just makes logical sense for us to say no to anything he wants to say no to. To give up everything so that we can have him. So I don't know what the world is for you, but here's what I do know. He's always working on us. And there's something. Do not sit there and think, oh, well, the person on the right of me, yeah, he's got issues. And the lady on the left of me, she really needs to do something. But I think I'm okay. Every single one of us have things, and out of his love for us, it's an invitation to say, okay, let's, let's peel back that other layer so I can give you more pleasure. Let's peel back another one. And so what I want you to do is, is as you, during this week, just spend some time with God. Listen to see what he might put his finger on and say, let me have that. Because I got something better. Would you buy your heads? Lord, I pray that this week, by your Holy Spirit, You would reveal to us those things that are getting in the way. The junk that we're holding on to, that is preoccupying our our hands and our hearts so that we can't receive what you have. Lord, I pray that you would transform our minds so that we're seeing through your eyes. Transform our hearts so that we're feeling with your heart. And transform our souls so that we're living hand in hand with you. Do whatever it takes, God, to draw us more deeply into your presence. Transform us into your likeness. And use us as your salt and your light and your aroma in this world. Turn us right side up. Whatever it takes, make us like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.